in the second century BC, the Seleucid Empire was ruling over the nation of Israel. And their wicked king decided that he wanted to put an end to the Jewish worship of the one true God by forcing the Jews to sacrifice to pagan idols. Well, this kicked off what is now known as the Maccabean Revolt. Eventually, it resulted in great Jewish freedom. But things didn't start out too well for the Jewish people when that happened. Uh, for example, uh, as many Jews fled into the wilderness, as the revolt began, they fled there to take refuge. A uh, group of enemy soldiers surrounded some of those Jews. But because it was the Sabbath, the Jews decided that they couldn't defend themselves. And those enemies came in and slaughtered a thousand people. Men, women, children. Just killed all of them without any resistance. After that, the Jews figured, well, maybe they should defend themselves on the Sabbath moving forward. After all, they're in a time of war. But this example confirms what the Jewish historian Josephus wrote, which is that the Jews feared the law more than they feared any loss or any ruler. And for many of them, this fear was deeply rooted in legalism. Now, legalism says that if I follow this list of rules, uh, that will keep me from sinning, so it'll make me holy, and it will make me acceptable to God. But you see, this works-based salvation inevitably leads to the feeling uh, that they need to create rules where none exist, so that there's a rule for every area of life. Right? I mean, the, the Sabbath was commanded to be a day of rest, when no work was to be done. Well, they took that and they extended it to say, Maybe that means we can't defend ourselves and our families in a time of war. But that's not what God said. And this isn't the only example. In fact, many years ago, a theologian named Emil Schur compiled a list of some of those examples of Jewish legalism that were taking place during the time that Jesus Christ was on this earth. I want to share a couple with you. Exodus 35 says that a fire was not supposed to be kindled in any of the Israelite dwelling places on the Sabbath day. We're not supposed to start a fire. Well, the Jews reasoned that maybe that meant they shouldn't extinguish a fire either. If they can't start one, they shouldn't put one out. Then the question is, what constitutes a fire? I mean, after all, lamps at that time used a flame. So they said, okay, well, you can't extinguish a lamp. That's kind of hard to live by, right? It's not always practical. So they said, okay, well, it's okay if you extinguish a lamp if you do it because of fear of uh, enemies like robbers or fear of uh, evil spirits, demons, or to let a sick person sleep. But if you extinguish a lamp to save the oil in it, that's sin. Or they said, okay, you can't work on the Sabbath. Uh, they figured that means you shouldn't write either. You shouldn't write anything. Uh, so if you write two or more letters, then that's sinful. At least if you write those letters in something permanent, like ink. You know, if you write in the dirt or the sand, that's not permanent. So that's not sinful. Do you see how burdensome and confusing legalism is? Because in the end, legalism, the idea of becoming righteous in our own strength and working our way to God through a checklist of laws, brings nothing more than crushing burdens, crippling fear, and a misunderstanding of who God is and what his purposes are for us. Look, it's good to be zealous for God and desire to obey him, just like when the Jews refused to worship pagan idols. But God's people have been called to loving obedience, not to legalism. And the Apostle Paul is going to show that. 
Today we're going to return to our study in the book of Romans. Now it's been a few weeks since we've been there together, so I want to recap a few things so we're all on the same page moving forward. Paul has made it very clear that we are forgiven of sin and saved from hell by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Then in Romans chapter 6, he addressed the lie that some were spreading, that because of these truths, because we're saved by grace through faith, that that, that meant that as Christians we have a license to sin. Right, we can just sin whenever we want because well, God's forgiveness is right around the corner. Is that true? No, of course not. Paul said far from it. He said in Romans 6 that we've, we've died to that old way of life. Now, we're a new creation in Jesus Christ. And he went on to show that our baptism, which should have come early in our faith, our baptism symbolizes this new life that we have. Then Paul continued, he said that we who were once slaves to sin shouldn't continue to serve sin as though it was still our master. No, we should recognize ourselves as slaves to righteousness, slaves of God. Pastor Brandon preached that message to us, and it was very clear when he did that well, we all serve someone or something. As Christians, we should serve God. We shouldn't serve sin. Now, this may have led some who were listening to Paul to say, okay, if we're slaves to righteousness, then that must mean that we're bound to God's law. So does this, Paul, does this bring us right back to legalism? So Paul's going to address that, and more than that, in Romans chapter 7. That's where we're going to be. So if you haven't already turned there, I encourage you to go ahead, get your Bible out, and turn to Romans 7. If you'd like to use one of the Bibles here in the sanctuary, by the way, you can turn to page 915. Page 915, Romans 7. My prayer this morning is that we will see that Christians, just as we do not have a license to indulge in sin so as to become enslaved by it again, we are also not to cling to the law and legalism so as to rely on that for right standing with God. In fact, these two things, license to sin and legalism, these are two of the reasons why believers struggle with sin. We're going to see another reason, too, as we look at Romans 7 and consider how is it, Christians, that we are able to live obedient lives of faith. Let's look there together. Romans 7, beginning in verse 1. Paul continues and says this. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives? For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Let's pause right here. Paul moves on to the law 
to address some of these things people would be thinking. And he uses this example of, of marriage. Uh, because what do we say with our wedding vows? We say, till death do us part, right? Well, when one spouse dies, the living spouse is free to pursue another relationship without breaking the bonds of marriage law. Paul's point in this is that the law is always binding on the living. We live under its rule and its penalties as long as we are alive. That's what he's trying to say. For example, just recently, a 97-year-old German woman, nicknamed the Secretary of Evil, was sentenced for her role in the murders of over 10,000 Jews at a concentration camp in the Holocaust. Now, this just happened. She did those things almost 80 years ago. doesn't matter. So long as we are alive, the law and its penalty are binding. When we die, the law doesn't have authority over us anymore. And so, Paul is saying, this is true for the Christian in regard to God's law. Now remember, like we saw in Romans 6, we saw how in Christ we, we died to that old self that we once were. No, 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 we're, we're new. We have this new life in Jesus Christ. Well, when the old sinful part of us died, we also died to the law. See, before, we were under the authority and the penalty of the law. And despite our best efforts to follow its authority, we failed again and again disobeying God continually, and we were headed for the just penalty of breaking his law. That's the penalty of hell. But praise God, through faith in Jesus Christ, we've been set free from both the penalty of hell and the authority of the law. So we are now under the authority of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying that Jesus Christ sets us free from the authority of the law. That doesn't mean that we're free to break the law and go and sin. Okay, that'd be licensed to sin. That's not what Paul is saying. Doesn't mean that we can go and disobey God's commands. No, Paul even said we're supposed to bear fruit for God. That means to live righteously. Paul is saying that the difference is we don't do this the old way of the written code. You see, the old way was legalism. That was the old way. Focus on the written law. Try your hardest in your strength to obey its authority. Resist evil. And how did that work out? For any of us. Would you remember that? Failure is what was guaranteed to us. But Paul is saying, not so anymore. Now, instead of trying to appease God in our own strength by living according to a, a list of do's and don'ts, instead there's a new way in the Holy Spirit to obey God's commands. We're going to come back to that. But first we have to answer the question that inevitably comes up, which is, well, if we're we're no longer under the authority of the law. If we've died to it, does that mean that God's law is worthless? It just doesn't matter? Let's see what Paul has to say about that. Look at verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life 
actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Well, did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. Look, just because we do not live under the old authority of the law does not mean that the law does not have great purpose. Paul points out some of those purposes. Now, first of all, Paul said he wouldn't have known what sin was without the law. The law told him which things were sinful in God's sight. A lot of us can probably think of examples of this in our own lives and for others. Now, I've met many people who don't know that taking God's name in vain is a sin until they hear that God commanded us not to do that. This is what the law does for us. For example, there's a young girl. She uh, swept her house, this room in the house, and dusted it, a very dusty room. Swept, dusted. As soon as she was done, she ran to the window and she closed the blinds. And she said to herself, whew. All this sunshine sure makes the room dusty. Well, we know that that's not the case. Now nah, the sun doesn't create the dust, but it reveals it. And the law isn't sinful, but it reveals the sin in our hearts. Then Paul said that sin seized the opportunity, produced the very sins that the law tried to prohibit. You see, in those days when we were under the authority of the law, before Jesus was our Savior, we might have tried our very best to obey, but we felt that strong pull to do wrong. And the more we were told not to lie and not to covet, not to disobey, the stronger the desire became. It's part of that sin nature that's in us. And it's in us from the very youngest of ages. Allow me to give you an example. The other day, my one-year-old son looked over towards the monitor in his room was hanging on the wall, and Casey said to him, hey, Simon, no, don't go and pull that cord. Don't do it. You see, he knew exactly what she was saying, because even though he's one, he's quite familiar with the word no, <laughs> and with the phrase don't do it. And when he heard that, he went straight for it. In fact, the more she said it, the more he wanted to pull the monitor down. Because you know what? We hear a rule, and that sin nature of ours just wants to break it. You see, the law doesn't just reveal what sin is, but it shows how incapable we are of consistently resisting it in our own strength. Our own self-efforts, like with legalism, were in the end useless because we still failed. We still deserved the penalty of hell. We were hopeless to achieve righteousness our own way, and that's not the fault of the law. So let's not go blaming the law or blaming God for giving it. Rather, let's realize that the purpose of the law was to show us our sin and our desperate need for saving. The law pointed us to Jesus Christ. Make no mistake about it. Like Paul said, the law is holy, it's righteous, it's good. The law reveals the character and the goodness of God. We should desire to uphold the law. The bad news is we can't do that in our own strength. The good news is that we don't have to anymore. We aren't helpless the way that we once were. 
But sometimes we feel helpless, don't we? Because we still struggle with sin. So Paul wrote this in verse 14. He said, we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. I want to stop here for just a second. Because there's a lot of debate about who Paul is referring to in these verses. That's why I keep bringing up what Paul said before. Because context is king, and in context leading up to this, Paul has been speaking to believers about believers. And those Christians, those believers, who desire to live fruitful and obedient lives know exactly what Paul is talking about here. We know what it is to feel this pull towards sin. Yet within ourselves, we, we desire to live in a way that pleases God. It's as though there's this constant tug of war raging in our hearts. And in these moments that we give in to sin, we, we find ourselves, like Paul, saying, the good that I want to do, I don't do. And the evil that I don't want to do, this is what I keep on doing. The true follower of Jesus is convicted when this happens, when we sin. Not because we fear the loss of salvation. That's legalism talking. No, it's because we're grieved that we've disobeyed the Savior who we love so dearly. The more we grow in our faith and in our obedience to Jesus Christ, the more we resonate with the words that Paul is saying here. Because we, we recognize that this is our struggle too. We want to obey. But then there's times where we're pulled towards sin and we enter into these moments of failure why do we face this struggle, believers? First of all, Paul points out that we face the struggle because our flesh still remains. We still have a sin nature. While we no longer live a life of the flesh, of the old nature, we still live in the flesh. And as long as this life continues, so does our struggle against that old part of ourselves, that old sinful way of living. Jesus set us free, that's true. We are no longer in bondage to the sin nature, but we are in a constant battle against it. Second, another thing that causes us to struggle is when we turn to legalism as a means of obedience. When we try and obey by self-effort. When we try and tell ourselves that if only I make a list that's really specific, 
of things to do, of rules. If only I work hard enough, if only I set enough boundaries, then, then I'll be righteous. But when, when has achieving righteousness in our own strength ever worked out for us? Now, when these become our focus, believer, when we start to focus on what we can do in our strength, we start to forget what we can do in God's strength. We fail because we forget that the one living within us gives us everything that we need for victory. And that's why Paul said this in verse 24. He said, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. So what? What's the answer to the struggle with sin, believer? The answer is Jesus Christ. That age-old Sunday school answer is the answer here. Jesus enables us to fulfill the law in a way that we have never been able to before. We will face battles against the flesh, against the sin nature. We'll face those desires to return to the old way of living. And we need to recognize that the only way to achieve victory in our daily battles with sin is to look to the one who has given us eternal victory over sin and hell, and that is Jesus Christ. We need to put our focus on Jesus rather than ourselves and the things we think we can do. We need to put our focus on Jesus rather than on temptation. And as we consider the one who has saved us, as we run to him for strength, we will find that we can defeat temptation like never before. Remember, Paul said earlier, he said, we serve in the new way of the Spirit. See, not only are we under the authority of Jesus, believers, but we live in the power of the Holy Spirit, who lives in each one of us who has given our lives to Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul said to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 5. He said this. He said, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the desire of the flesh is against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, in order to keep you from doing whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. For those of us who recognize, as Christians, these battles, who understand the struggle that Paul has been talking about, we must recognize that while... Being defeated by sin was once inevitable in our lives. That is no longer the case. The Holy Spirit of God living within us will guide us and give us strength for every battle that we face. Victory is always at hand if we will simply look to the Savior who saved us and rely on the Spirit of God living within us. Christians, the point is that we will face temptation. This struggle that Paul is talking about. Although we've been set free from the old self, the chains of sin, the penalty of hell. We need to realize that while we live in the flesh, we will still face the battles of the flesh. We'll feel that pull towards sin. Our response should be to take the focus off of ourselves, off of temptation, off of the things we think we can accomplish in our own strength, and to put our focus on Jesus Christ, who will deliver us when we run to him in those times of need. He'll strengthen us when we go to him to resist temptation. We need to run to him in prayer. We need to look to his truth in scripture when those battles come. We are free in Christ. 
We're under his authority. And we need to realize that the more we look to Jesus Christ, the more we look to him, the more we focus on him, the more we will love him. And the more that we love Jesus, the more we will desire to be loyal to him. And the more loyal we are to Jesus Christ, that's when we won't so easily indulge in sin and disobey the commands of God. Nah, we'll want to obey him. You see, we each need to understand this morning that if you are claiming freedom to live in sin, then sin is your master. That's what you are enslaved to. Paul already pointed that out. If you're here and you're claiming that you can do this on your own, if you've allowed yourself to become enslaved to legalism, well, then you're serving yourself. You're your own master. You're trying to please yourself, not God. And misery is the only thing that you're going to find in either of those two things, license to sin or legalism. Only when our focus is put on Jesus Christ will we finally have the freedom that we were called to. Only then will we experience the fruitful obedience that we were commanded to. And only then will we find the truth that Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. Believers, the truth this morning is that our struggles against sin turn to victory when we turn to Christ. And we need to remember that every day, because every day we will face these battles. And we need to remember that our struggles against sin turn to victory when we turn to Jesus. Remember that. And believers, let's remember that when we fail, because we will, we will still sin. We will fall, we will fail. We need to remember that Jesus is there to forgive us. We need to be quick to run to him. When we face temptation, we need to remember that he will give us everything that we need for victory. So we need to look to him. And church, let's remember that there are still many people in this world, in this country, in this community who are enslaved to sin and headed for its penalty. And we need to point them to Jesus Christ because he is the only one who can rescue them.